The spike protein just looks like a spike, and it's on the outside of the coronavirus. And it is the protein that binds to your cells and then allows the virus to enter and the rest follows. Welcome to the Controversial Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mackenzie. This podcast takes deep dives in today's most controversial topics, and today we are talking about COVID-19. Now, I brought in an incredible guest. Her name is Heather. She goes by Hey Curly Top on TikTok, and she is a biochemist and biophysicist currently researching COVID-19 proteins. Now, before we dive into today's incredible interview, I did want to preface with saying that I wasn't feeling incredibly great on this day. This is an episode that I would like to do about chronic illness and invisible illness and how that affects our lives, but just a little bit of background. Um, As my girlfriend slash editor was preparing this episode, she said you could definitely see that I just wasn't as typically energetic as I am, and that's that's why. Uh, But this interview was incredibly important because we are still in this pandemic, this, this pandemic has affected everybody's lives to some degree, whether if you've lost your job, your home, a family member, a loved one, this pandemic has affected every single one of us. So I think it's an important topic to talk about and to continue educating ourselves about and to continue aligning ourselves with, right? Continuing to do the things that we need to do, the precautions that we need to do, double mask, all the new things that we are learning, continue to do that. We are not out of the woods yet. And in order to get there, we have to do all the things that we talked about in this interview and continue to educate ourselves. So that's what this is all about. I'm going to try and stop rambling. Quick reminder to go and check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mackenzie. It has the outline for this episode, a whole bunch of resources. And while you're there, consider subscribing. You get two additional podcast episodes every single month. We have one about ACAB. We've had one about group sex. We've had about what my utopia would look like. Some incredible interviews are coming for the Patreon, so I would highly recommend spending those $3 and subscribing. But I'm going to stop now and let's just dive right in. And today, welcome to the podcast, Heather, who has an incredible TikTok account, which you should go follow right now before I get rolling with raving all about her because I have been a dedicated follower for some time. I am going to give her space to introduce herself and tell us a little about you, where we can find you, of course. Hi. Yes, my name is Heather Mason Forsyth, and I am on TikTok. Um, And I make TikToks that are about science research and uh, about what it's like to be a scientist in general. I currently research some COVID-19 proteins and I dance about that. Yes, and, uh, I was about to say you're underselling the dance. You're underselling the dancing aspect. There's, you, you promote science, but, but with some great dance moves. <laughs> yes. So I, I got on TikTok because I was kind of bored at first and the pandemic was starting and uh, simultaneously I was shifting my research to focus, I was looking at shifting it to look at uh, COVID proteins instead of other proteins that I was looking at before basically and uh, simultaneously I was like actually people this is a really good platform to reach a lot of people very quickly and so uh, dancing is one of the ways that people communicate on this app, and I became an academic and did not have time to keep dancing, so I was excited for an excuse to start dancing again, if only for, at first, was just a few people, and is now 
a lot of a lot more people than I ever anticipated would want to see me dance in a lab coat. <laughs> oh, I absolutely love it. I also was a dancer and I danced while I was in college as well as part of like the dance team there. But I, oh, nice. I, I love it. I love you're also a fellow queer woman in STEM, which I just love the representation that goes along with that that you show. Because yeah. I think that's hugely important, obviously. <laughs> uh, yes. So with that, oh, before I forget, we do have to say your at is uh, Hey Curly Top, correct? I will have it linked yes. in the uh, description of the podcast, the notes of the podcast, but just you're, you're already on TikTok while you're listening. The, the, the at is Hey Curly Top, and you should definitely go follow Heather. Um, she talks about some incredible things, including what we're about to talk about, her research. So uh, you research COVID-19 proteins, and tell us how you kind of got into that. You just said you switched over. So how did that become a thing? And, and, and what do you or what do you seek to do with your research? So I am a PhD candidate. I'm in my fifth year in biochemistry and biophysics uh, at Oregon State University. And my lab is a biophysics, biochem hybrid lab. And we're really interested in proteins and protein structures. So an analogy that I really like to use is uh, that proteins are sort of the the workers inside of a cell. So your DNA codes for these proteins, and uh, but the, it's the proteins that do the actual work. And just like anything in a toolbox, the shape of those tools dictates what function that tool can do. Um, so if you have a brick, for example, the shape of the brick dictates that a brick is basically its job is to stack on top of each other. And so in your body, you have proteins that are brick-like and their job is just to like stack on top of each other and form your eye lens, for example. But there's other proteins and other parts of proteins that are more ribbon-like or string-like and they're really flexible. And so uh, you can imagine that if I asked a bunch of people to write down what is the function of a rope, Lots of people would write completely different things, and that's because ropes are versatile. They can wrap around things. They can pull things together. So proteins, what a protein can do is dictated by not only what the protein looks like, but how it's able to move. In my lab, we have some proteins that we have looked at for a long time and that we're really interested in, but uh, broadly, we use all the same methods and tools to ask questions about how these proteins are moving, how they are changing whenever they start interacting with a different protein. And I got into this because our lab had previously looked at uh, rabies virus, some rabies virus proteins. And I wanted to know if the COVID protein makeup had a protein that was similar to what we had looked at before. And I landed on uh, the nucleocapsid protein, which is a, the protein that binds and packages the RNA inside of the virus. So this protein is really important because many copies of it protect the RNA and it's important to understand this interaction and its other interactions for reasons of like virus replication or just state how the virus is stable in its final form, for example. We wrote a grant proposal that was intended to give money to labs very quickly so that research could get 
moving along on COVID research, basically, as that was over the summer of 2020. And we got that funding, so I jumped headfirst into and Our lab has been moving really fast, and a lot of really good people are helping me work on this project. And it's been really kind of exciting to work on, I would say. Right on. I started following you around that time when you started writing or working on the COVID protein. And of course, one of the first things that people were concerned about as somebody working on COVID was that you were working with this infectious disease. But you explained on TikTok that you work with harmless proteins. So did you want to give us a little, just a little bit of an or, or explanation as how these proteins, how you made these proteins harmless? Right. So the proteins we work with, um, I should say that for a protein to really be dangerous most of the time, it would need to be in the setting of which it causes danger. So a COVID-19 viron, the little virus, is made up of a, just a few different proteins, and it really needs all of them to come together to do what its function and wreak the havoc that it has. Um, so if you just have one protein isolated, it's pretty innocuous. innocuous. <laughs> it's uh, just a bunch of, I mean, you eat proteins every day, right? Um, it's the same thing that we're talking about. So whenever we want to look at a protein, we put it into a tiny piece of DNA called a plasmid, um, in this case, a bacterial plasmid. And we have ways of knowing how to control gene expression of that plasmid. So we know that this DNA code will create this RNA, which will code for the protein that we want. And so we have ways of telling a bunch of E. coli protein uh, that are also not harmless E. coli and getting them to grow a bunch of the protein for us. So we use them essentially as a, just a growth factory. Um, We like put them in media filled with like sugars and things that bacteria want to eat to grow and be happy. And then we give them signals to grow the protein and they grow a whole bunch of it. And then we have methods of purifying out the specific protein that we wanted. So we end up with a bunch of that protein on its own, just in like some salt water separated completely from the E. coli cells that it even started in. And then we can look at what this protein is in isolation and uh, can do a lot of experiments with it that are very controlled. Yeah, that was a wonderful explanation. Thank you so much. And if anybody is uh, confused or wants to see what the COVID virus looks like and all the different kind of proteins and what they've named it, I have on the outline for this episode a uh, the CDC guide that has a – maybe it's, is it the CDC guide? I might be wrong. But there is a visual guide in the resources for this episode that has uh, a pretty useful uh visual resource for you guys. Now, I while I was researching this, there's also are like kid-friendly versions. So if science is really, really hard for you, um, I totally understand. There are literal kid versions out there that can help you fully understand uh, what this, you know, COVID uh, virus looks like and all the different proteins that, and how they interact to 
make this virus, as Heather said, wreak the havoc that it does. So that's the kind of next note that we wanted to take off on is we see, especially on TikTok and on Twitter, this kind of weird discourse that has happened, especially in the United States, of people saying that, you know, the virus is fake news or overplayed in the media and it's not that big of a deal, it hasn't wreaked that much havoc. But um, I wanted you to give you some space to kind of speak on why that's maybe not the best message that we should be sending online. Yeah, it is really wild. I never would have predicted that so many people would just ignore, I guess, or think that so many deaths don't matter. I don't even know personally how to process that, but I think maybe something that people don't understand or value sometimes is that scientists and medical professionals wouldn't be taking this so seriously if it wasn't serious. And it is a wild concept to think that the entire international community came together and stopped, ruined, like stopped the economy, all of everyone's economies stopped the world running basically and like ruined so many people's lives over a fake virus, like that would be, I don't know what to That would be a very large prank to pull off somehow. Yeah. For, for <laughs> really the amount of people that research, that understand, the experts that we're looking at to all come together and say we're going to pull one over on the planet would take a lot of organizing and just right. be like the ultimate hoax that we, like that's just some conspiracy theory that is way too wackadoodle because that is an entire globe of people that can't come together for different reasons coming together to try and hoax you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so many, so many people have died and there's still a lot of people who don't directly know someone who has. And I just wish that they understood that that is a incredible privilege at this point. And like, if you have not been personally affected by this virus, then great for you. That's amazing. But maybe your circles don't include a lot of people who have been forced to work in unsafe conditions, or you don't know medical professionals or cleaning staff who have just been watching people die over and over and over again, just because someone didn't take this virus seriously. Yeah, exactly. And we see that a lot of the time when people are speaking about this online, it comes from this very privileged place, place right? Uh, is mm -hmm. that you're not being affected because you don't have to, like, as you said, work in these places. As we're going through this, people still have to work at our grocery stores. There still needs to right. be, the hospital still needs to function. And that doesn't mean just mean that the hospital needs nurses and doctors. It also needs janitorial staff and, right. uh, you know, front desk staff and people to do, it's all of that still needs to get done. And we don't think about those things. So, you know, mm -hmm. take a second to realize that you're in a place of privilege if you're not being directly affected by it, by this, if the people around you aren't being directly affected by this. And yeah. at the time of this, I think no, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I think with regards to the fake news specifically, like online, uh, I mean, a lot of the fault falls with people who have platforms that are really large, like failing to take this seriously. And I think a lot of the blame also falls on other science communicators who are incredibly, can be incredibly impatient with people and write people says, uh, you know, like, you're just stupid if you don't believe every piece of science that comes out and or accept every piece of science that comes out and they don't 
there's a lack of compassion often that I think pushes people away from science because there are plenty of valid reasons to be weary of of medical science, of medical doctors, of scientists in general. There's a lot of complicated history, I think, there. Yeah, especially for POC and marginalized groups. Uh, That becomes even more of a difficult conversation when you're you're looking at those groups. Right. So I just don't, I I hate to say that all the fault falls on people who aren't taking the time to find the correct sources and look these things up, even though that is part of the problem. But there's tons of people with power and platforms who do nothing but make the situation worse. Yeah. I mean, from what I've seen, the people that are in these situations, like the people that, you know, are uh, maybe have the right to be weary of medical professionals are taking this situation seriously. It's like, as you Mm -hmm. said, it's the people that are, that don't need to take this seriously. It's the influencers that have big houses, the money to spend on it, that are having parties and, you know, saying don't post it on social media, having little notes that are like, put your phone away, don't post this, because they know that they're doing something that the public is going to view as wrong and they don't want to get caught for it. They, they, they're they afraid of getting caught more than they're afraid of hosting a party that could be deadly to other people. So it, as you said, it's it's those people more than anybody that are starting this bad influence of it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> when yeah. at the time of this recording, we're at 2.4 million deaths globally. That's a big number. <laughs> That's a big number for a virus that didn't exist two years ago. Yes, exactly. I mean, when we went through the H1N1 pandemic, that we saw numbers nowhere near this. And this is, uh, you know, <laughs> a big number that we're, it's still a problem and it's con- going to continue to be a problem for a little bit until we can have full vaccinations, you know, across many scales. It's going to take at least to the end of this year, most likely. I mean, that's just <laughs> for best potential. And we need to take it more seriously as we keep going because it's not going to stop unless we put some <laughs> dedication to stopping it. With this, I did want to mention that the timing of this recording this past week, we did see a study come out with masks and how to uh, better wear your masks. So I did want to mention that just if you haven't seen it already, it's been kind of everywhere, but there is the link, the CDC link in the outline for this episode. Go check it out. It's kind of talking about how to mask better. And um, the numbers were quite staggering, to be honest. When I read the study, it was, you know, kind of cloth masks and surgical masks on their own weren't even covering like 50% of particles. But when you are double masking, surgical mask under cloth mask, um, that you were getting like 90% of particles Uh prevent from crossing that barrier. So that's a huge, huge difference. Yeah. So definitely go check out that study. Go go read all of that um, while we're talking about precautions for the pandemic. Take these extra precautions of the uh, new mask mandates and, or not mandates, I should say guidelines. Um, and definitely go check it out because there are some exceptions. There are, I can't remember the name because all the masks have funny letter names and you know, my dyslexic ass is not going to remember that. Um, but <laughs> there are some exceptions to the not double masking rule. So definitely go read that while, while you have the opportunity. Now, as we are trying, as I said earlier, we are still in the pandemic. We uh, aren't going to get out of this until we are vaccinated. So, And that's kind of a big thing is people are scared of this vaccine, rightfully so. I'm not saying that's 
something that you shouldn't be timid about. Um, mRNA vaccines are fairly new, um, so I understand why that can feel weird and not comfortable, but I'm going to give Heather some space to maybe explain to you a little bit more about how this vaccine will work. So the vaccine, uh, the mRNA vaccine specifically, so you effectively just have a piece of RNA, stands for messenger RNA, because its only role is to carry a message. And in this case, that message is to tell your cells how to build a part of the spike protein. And if you haven't seen it by now, the spike protein just looks like a spike and it's on the outside of the coronavirus. And it is the protein that binds to your cells and then allows the virus to enter and the rest follows. So this is the protein, the first protein that your body is going to see when you get infected with coronavirus. And what this vaccine does is it gives your body an opportunity to learn what that protein looks like so that you build up an immunity to that protein. So whenever you get the real full spike protein attached to the rest of the virus, your body can react a lot faster to it. The step of going from mRNA to building a protein, I think it's important to uh, emphasize that that doesn't happen anywhere close to your DNA at all. It doesn't go into, your nu into the nucleus of your cells. The translation happens in the cytoplasm. So uh, I know one thing that people are afraid of is that uh, there's like this fake news uh, theory or, you know, whatever that said that mRNA vaccines are going to change your DNA. And that's not, not a thing. So the, and I think it's important also to remember that this, this technology didn't just like come from, we didn't start at zero we, as the scientific community, largely um, did not start from zero whenever we heard about COVID-19. Uh, mRNA technology has been in the works for years, um, and we know about a lot about RNA in general. There's so much research, uh, both medical and basic research also, about these, these proteins or very similar proteins and what we can expect from vaccine reactions. Like we have so much data related to this. And just because this is a new virus, it doesn't mean that all of the scientific data that we've collected on very similar things before now doesn't apply, right? So the, the testing and safety that's gone into this is like for, for your best interest still, obviously, and that, ha that is going on, but we we didn't just create this a year ago, you know. Yeah. Um, and I saw someone. Sorry, go ahead. No. Oh yeah, I I just saw someone tweet. I cannot remember who it was, unfortunately, but there was a tweet going around that compared the mRNA vaccine to uh, sending a Snapchat. So the mRNA is a temporary molecule. So that's also important to remember. Like you're not going to keep this vaccine around in you forever. The mRNA is going to come and it's going to deliver its message. You're going to make a bunch of uh, pieces of spike protein and then your cells are going to degrade that mRNA. And so it's just going to come and send the message and then disappear. And I just like thought that analogy was funny. I love that. No, I love that. That's amazing. And, and as Heather was saying, 
this is like COVID itself is a new virus. Um, what we have seen things like this before. It is a type of SARS virus, which if you if you don't know what that stands for, it's okay. It's a severe acute respiratory syndrome. Um, we've obviously seen those types of viruses before. So we have information. We have kind of some building blocks. We didn't, as Heather said, we didn't, there's the, the scientific community didn't start at zero. There's, there was research on mRNA before this, and there was research on a lot of similar viruses slash proteins before. So there were, there there, there wasn't just nothing. <laughs> so I think that helps people feel a little bit more safe as far as with talking about this virus, right? People think of novel, novel virus, new virus, as if we have never seen anything like it before. But it's, it's not as groundbreaking as it originally seems. <laughs> but something else I see often or hear often is people saying that they don't want the vaccine because they don't want to be a guinea pig or like a test subject. And it just makes me so sad, I guess, because it feels so insulting to the tens of thousands of people who actually did volunteer to be guinea pigs effectively in these vaccine trials. Like there's so many people who took the risk to try this, like be in the clinical trials for these vaccines. And yes, it's, a pretty new vaccine and we're still gonna have to monitor like what happens but like you're not the first people to get it we know what to expect pretty much at this point i just think it's important to keep that in mind like i think people a lot of people seem to think that there weren't clinical trials for some reason yeah and and then people when they see those clinical trials i've seen a lot of people you know there there were some allergy reactions i think it was like amongst the 30k that they tested on there was 40 allergic reactions that were very minor um, and of course people took that and <laughs> ran with it um, but as heather said those 40 people that had allergic reactions that had minor allergic reactions they stepped up and had those minor allergic reactions so that you knew what the minor allergic reactions could be so that you could be prepared so that you should be respectful that there was 40 people that experienced those first before you <laughs> and you know again and one of the other things that people are concerned about are the new strains that are popping up of course the big one was the one in England um, that was reported originally to be more contagious that's now kind of in argument they're not really sure about it they called that the b117 um, variant but what a lot of people don't realize is that there's variants all the time that researchers see different variants of this on a weekly basis it's just some work some survive some don't some continue on and they are continuing to look at them every day um, when it first came out we like i said earlier it we thought that it was more contagious that's kind of now we're not so sure there is some research that might indicate that the vaccine isn't as effective against certain variants as it is to others but again kind of kind of new as far as you know knowing exactly what that's going to be but I, Heather, what do you think, even with that information, how do we still encourage people to be getting this vaccine to make sure that we're, you know, moving on with life? Uh, yeah. So like you said, lots of mutations are appearing all the time, constantly. And I think that something people should keep in mind or know is that mutations happening are not always bad and they often don't even affect the virus at all. So when we talk about mutations, 
you're talking about changes in the, uh, they're called amino acids, and they're like the building blocks of a protein. And there's about 20 that are rearranged and put together, and they all uh, build the larger protein structure based on their biochemical properties. So some of them um, really like water, for example, they interact well with water. So those are going to want to stay on the outside of a protein and interact with the fluid around. And then there's other uh, pieces that really uh, don't react well with water and they are more likely to be on the inside of it. And some are bigger than others and some are smaller and so they fit in smaller pieces and et cetera. And some of these are very similar to each other. So if a mutation changes from one amino acid that is small and likes water to a different one that is small and likes water, it probably won't affect the protein's function or anything much about it, most likely. Um, we see much larger changes if you see um, a amino acid mutate into something that's totally different. And then whenever that happens, you can see changes in the structure, changes in the shape. And even then, it's not necessarily going to make the protein stick to you more tightly. Um, it really depends on so many factors. And uh, I think what we're seeing is the virus will adopt a whole bunch of mutations at once. And some of them just happen to be make it more successful. And so they hold on. But I think there's a lot of encouraging evidence that uh, antibodies are still interacting well with these with these proteins because you can imagine uh, if the spike protein changes too much, then all of a sudden it can't recognize your cells. So it's kind of limited in that way. So how much it can change and how quickly it can change before we get enough people vaccinated, I, I don't really know. But I I should I should note I'm really not a like medical scientist or an epidemiologist. I am a protein biochemist, but yeah. I do read a lot of research and I think that it's encouraging as best I can tell. Yeah. And I am lucky to have epidemiologists in my life, so I get their kind of input here and there. And from from what I understand, as like a <laughs> as like a marine biochemist, like trying to understand the medical uh, scientific field, so just kind of the outside scientist looking in sort of thing. Um, but what I can understand from what my epidemiologist friends say is that we. This hopefully with the vaccine, we will at least get somewhat of this actual herd immunity. And I'm gonna give Heather a second on to explain the difference between the herd immunity that conservatives put out there and actual herd immunity that we're looking to gather. <laughs> I think we what we're wanting is for people enough people to be vaccinated that the probability basically of you transferring the virus or getting the virus and then bringing it to someone else becomes pretty negligible. So doing that protect people who cannot get the vaccine, for example, and who are higher risk. So people who are immunocompromised for some reason in particular, um, it really, it's, 
important, I think, to remember that the vaccine is great for you personally, but it's not really for you if you're healthy and not at risk. The, the greatest impact that it will have is if we have herd immunity and then we can protect the people who are we are, who we are trying to protect effectively. Yes, exactly. And, and what I mean by the difference between those two herd immunities is the one that we are aiming for, as Heather just said, is the one where there's enough people where the virus doesn't have the opportunity to spread, right? If you're, what herd immunity looks like is if you're um, immunocompromised and cannot receive this vaccine and are, are, are able to get the virus, but you are surrounded by people who have been vaccinated who cannot effectively get the virus, then you have a herd around you of immunity. Whereas Republicans like to use this analogy to say that we should just go back to life and use herd immunity as in like natural selection and with the oh, I see. Yes. Those are two different things. <laughs> and we yeah, don't yeah. want the latter. The latter is a, 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 not a very bright future. We want the, the former. The, we want herd immunity as in we are protecting those who are weakest around us. Or not weakest. That's a that's a poor way of saying that. But a, the most uh, immunocompromised or the most people that are, are greatly affected by this vaccine or by, by this vaccine, by this virus. Lord, my English today. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that that kind of explains why you should still be receiving the vaccine, even if you're like not fully sure. Um, there Again, like, like we said, there's a lot of research that went into it. A lot of people volunteered to be the quote unquote guinea pigs to, to make sure that it was healthy for the mass majority of people. And we are looking to create a somewhat herd immunity so that we could, can go back, hopefully, to a quote unquote somewhat normal lifestyle. Um, now, with that, do you think that there's anything that we might have missed today that people should know about COVID, that we should know progressing forward in the next year or so that's, a, that's important for, you know, for, for us? I think that it's important to keep paying attention. There's a COVID-19 is getting old. We are all so tired of talking about it and hearing about it and worrying about it and stopping our lives for it. and you can see that I think in a lot of people's behavior and uh, but there's still research coming out there's still changes happening there's still mutations occurring and we are having problems with vaccine distribution etc so we are like definitely not out of the woods yet so I, I would strongly encourage people to keep paying attention and keep remembering that we're in a pandemic yeah. We're still in a pandemic. We're still wearing still masks, socially distanced. I know nobody wants to hear that anymore. We're so tired of hearing it after a year. But with that, hopefully we'll be able to get back to a normal life if we, if we do those things, right? We've seen it in other countries. We've seen, you know, countries be able to get back to a more normal lifestyle because they actually abide, abided by those laws. They wore masks, they socially distanced, and basically eradicated the virus in their country. And that might not be plausible because of the chaos that is the United States, but we can at least, uh, you know, reduce that, flatten that curve, um, make it more plausible to kind of socially go back to somewhat normalcy, right? Um, right. Well, 
Thank you so much for being here, Heather. I really appreciate it. As I said earlier, guys, go check out the outline for this episode because it has a whole bunch of resources that you can check out and further your knowledge on COVID. As Heather said, you want to keep yourself informed, keep yourself up to date, learn the new mask mandates um, because we are not out of the woods yet. We are still in the midst of this pandemic. I know it is tough mentally. Um, so go outside, take a few breathers after you listen to this podcast, after you review and subscribe. Um, again, Heather, thank you so much for being here. Uh, go follow Heather at HeyCurlyTop because um, she does some updates about COVID every once in a while and helps explain it. And there's visuals. Uh, if you're a more of a visual person, Heather does a great job of that. So go and check out her TikTok. Thanks for having me. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it.